so dulled. She did not know what position she was in. Imagine what position she was in, whether standing or sitting, but the brain, what? Kneeling? Yes. Whether standing or sitting or kneeling, but the brain, what? Lying? Yes. Whether standing or sitting or kneeling or lying, but the brain still, still in a way, for her first thought was, oh, long after, sudden flash, brought up as she had been to believe with the other waves and a merciful <laughs> God. Welcome to Radical Listening, the Portland podcast where we talk to local artists about their current projects. I'm your host, Phil Johnson. And I'm your co-host, Clifton Holtznagel. Today, our guests are two people who are very important to my development in the theater world. We've got Rebecca Lingefelter and Christy Miles, who are respectively the director and one of the performers in Beckett Women at Portland Experimental Theater Ensemble, playing now through January 25th, with shows Wednesday through Sunday. It was, it was really, really wonderful to talk to these two women. Um, I've learned from both of them. Uh, they've both been teachers of mine, and I've always really appreciated the work that yeah. Pete does. And this piece in particular was um, just so abstract and beautiful. It was really wonderful to get a little bit more information about it, you know, because it's so true. deep. That's true. I, uh, I, I, I walked away with a lot of questions. And what's so funny about this episode is they kind of push us to say, hey, those questions aren't even really that relevant to what they were trying to create <laughs> yeah just, to a certain extent yeah, yeah you know i mean I, I really feel like what they want us to understand is that this piece is about the experience of the piece itself yeah and so i would i would urge everyone who goes to see it you know just kind of like release yourself into it and just be there with the actors be there with the production and just kind of whatever you come away with just Take that and enjoy that for what it is. And I would say also get there early, not only because Reed College is uh, tough to park at and you might be at the wrong place. (laughs) Go to the West parking lot. But uh, get there early also because there's an interactive element to the show that's happening in the lobby that is actually really cool because it comes back on stage later. Uh, Don't want to give too much away about that, but it is really it's it it adds to the piece. So, yeah. I think we had a fascinating conversation. We we talked about the show, of course. We talked about the process, and more specifically, the process that Pete uses to develop their work. Pete stands for the Portland Experimental Theater Ensemble, and um, so a lot of their work it sometimes is based on text and sometimes it's not, but it usually is deconstructing and changing and experimenting with the text, but also with just the general idea of um, how to make theater. And their process is a great example of that. And so we talk a little bit about that. We talk a little bit about their lives and, you know, when do they start doing theater? Yeah. Um, Pete does very experimental work and devises their own shows, but they often also work with very famous text. Like a couple years ago, they did Vanya. And this one is obviously, it's it's four pieces from Beckett, four short plays um, all revolving around uh, women characters in Beckett and but it even when it's a famous playwright uh, Beckett you know we've heard of for a long time Chekhov even longer uh, it's not what you expect it's no. definitely not what you expect so um, yeah I definitely say check this one out I've seen a lot of their work and uh, this is right up there with the best of it yeah now let's just get into our conversation with Christy Miles and Rebecca Lingefelter so today we're talking <laughs> with Christy Miles and Rebecca Lingefelter who are part of the production of Beckett Women at Portland Experimental Theater Ensemble, running uh, now until the 25th of January, Wednesday through Sunday evenings, except, of course, the last weekend, because the 25th is a Saturday. So, uh, 
Rebecca, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so happy to be here and so glad you guys do this. It's awesome. We're glad to have you here. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for coming on our show, guys. I'm super excited to talk about your show because it was, I haven't seen anything like that in a while and it was really refreshing. So thank you very much for for doing this work and and then coming to talk about it with us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Um, So I would say the most challenging part of this for me was the text. You know what I mean? I mean, it's in the title Beckett Women and Beckett's known for his text. And um, this, uh, most of the pieces had a very similar style of using words. And it left you really trying to follow it you know what i mean you're, try- you're trying to follow because it, it was so interesting what you were hearing but it was so scattered that it was hard to make sense and uh i was just wondering how that affected the creation of the piece like what came first did did you decide we want to do beckett or did you say did you have an another idea and realize that beckett was the right tool for that we started with beckett so mm-hmm. um I have had this idea for a while about putting these four plays together in this particular order. The um, the idea of putting together Beckett's plays that are written for women is not new. It's been done many, many times in different kinds of iterations. Um, often, uh, Footfalls is paired with a play called Rockabye. That's another monologue. Um, and then Come and Go, like those three plays are often done together. Um, and sometimes Not I and Footfalls is done together. But this is the first, as I know of, version that has these particular four plays. And I was interested in this kind of um, decumulation of text and accumulation of bodies. So the play begins with a mouth just spewing a monologue, a 15-minute monologue of stream of consciousness. And then um, there's two bodies in the space that are in dialogue, a mother and daughter. And then there's three bodies in the space that have a trialogue about a friendship. And then there's four bodies in the space that don't talk and just move. So I was curious about um, what, because Beckett is so known for both his um, airtight, you know, razor sharp text um, and his uh, very constrictive mise-en-scene. So he gives you everything. He gives you what the costumes should look like. He gives you what the lighting should be. He gives you the sound cues. I was curious about um, putting these four plays together and thinking about uh, text and world building um, in relationship to each other over the course of those four plays. And then I was particularly interested in what does it mean to put um, women's bodies into these plays, um, women of color, women of different ages, and in this day and age, what what does that do to the text? What does it do to the experience of the audience watching the plays? So that was kind of where the curiosity came. And then when we got in the room, the world we built was was totally based on the group of people that ended up in the room. So, so you knew from the beginning that you wanted to start with like the mouth. Mm-hmm. You knew that. Okay. Yeah. Is that play written as a mouth saying it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. In the original stage directions, he describes a figure on a like eight foot plinth. Mm-hmm. Um, where the light is such that you can only see their mouth and they're mic'd, she's mic'd. Um, and then there's a, a character that Beckett calls the auditor is like on a four foot plinth downstage right or downstage left. Um, 
and has these kind of gestural movements that she's supposed okay. to do. So the, so that's what's established in the stage directions. But then the really seminal performance of the work was by an actress named Billy Whitelaw at the Court Theater in like 1973. And when Beckett directed that version of it, um, they put her up, up way floating in this like complete darkness they actually it was a mechanism by which she was strapped in so that her head wouldn't move (laughs) she was behind this like wall and um it was very very intense they actually blacked out the exit signs so that people wouldn't leave (laughs) (laughs) so they would just be immersed not not so that it would be dark but they wouldn't be able to get out yes yes (laughs) so what did that feel like because you were the one doing that text so how did that feel like i'm in a void yeah. Yeah. Could you see anything? Nope. I can't see anything. Well, that's not true. I see blackness, and it, because it's elastine, you know, it's spandex, I can see um, the spandex or the uh, elastic in the material, but it's lit by the light, and it, so it sparkles. Mm. And then the dimension of the fabric becomes like a another di- – I feel like I'm literally in the void. It's almost like you're hallucinating a little bit. It is intense, but not as intense. Like I'm not strapped. I'm kind of strapped in, but I get to move. At least I get to, thank God I get to move. It was really cool when you moved, I will say, because you were fairly static for a long time. And because you were there, I mean, I can only imagine because you were there from pre-show all the way through that long monologue, being stuck in that dark space is probably a long time. But also, um, yeah, seeing you move forward and backward when you had been static for like a good amount of time was really cool. Because like, whoa, it can move. <laughs> like, it was. I, I really appreciated the movement of the mouth at times. Yeah, me too. So, <laughs> so in, when you have that much text and you're kind of secured like that, is there like how how are you engaging with that text? Like, how do you keep yourself connected to it? Are you think like do you see the words in your mind's eye? Are you like what are you doing? I'm living the experience that the mouth is having. <laughs> yeah. Really. So it's like this, I'm, uh, and that's, you know, the help of Rebecca as director. Mm-hmm. But like, I just am, I'm like, what this, I'm trying to figure out what happened. Where am I? What's the last thing I remember? What's going on? Yeah. What's my life? Like, I'm just one step at a time. I can't think about the whole thing. I just have to start it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and trust that the rest will come. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I'm, it yeah. seems like a pretty intense monologue. It's the hardest thing I've ever learned. How did you go about memorizing that? <laughs> uh, repetition. I recorded myself. I've written it. I've handwritten it. I've uh, I've worked physically. I all of the above. I've attached it to image, need, and a lot of work with Rebecca. Yeah. Like why? Why? What? It, what why? is this? Yeah. What? It, why am I saying this? What? Who? Why? Who am I talking to? What? What? What do I yeah. need? Yeah. Do you guys do table work for processes like this? Yeah. yeah, we did. We did about three days of table work, um, which was unusual for us. We started actually in August, though, with a workshop that was um, to discover sort of the design and the world of the play. Oh, That's that how Pete sense. works. We do. We do an early workshop, usually about six months before the production. Mm-hmm. Because we work with composition, we work with a devising process, even if it's scripted material. So, um, so we do a week of that in August to sort of understand the world and understand the container for the piece. And then, um, when we came back to rehearsals in the beginning of December, we did about three three days of of table work. So, when you sit down for table work, 
do you guys like how, how does that look for the monologue do you guys like go through line by line and try and derive meaning like do you what 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 are you what are you focusing on with with christy during that process in the in the initial round of table work, it was just to get a sense of the larger beats, like what is happening here, what is happening here, have a sense of the given circumstances, what was what we think, who we think this person is, and what's actually happening to her. Mm-hmm. But we didn't do the detail work at that point. We really did the detail work in on our feet, yeah. on our feet, mm-hmm. standing, moving, putting it in Christie's body, or doing it at inside of the puppet mask. Yeah. Um. Par- partially because I just think like sitting at a table like you're not able to internalize yeah. the the sensation of it i mean i've and 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 christy described all these different ways that she went about memorizing it and i feel similarly as a director i just tried all the different ways i could of trying to access Meaning, I mean, Clifton, you know, I think your question is so interesting of like, you know, this language that Beckett has, how do I, how do I understand it? Or how am I supposed to understand it when it's so opaque, when it's so dense? Um, And I think a a part of it is that Beckett is um, really skeptical of language being able to articulate experience. (laughs) Do you know that he, he um, has as, as like um, facile and incredible brilliant as he is with text i feel like he ultimately believes that all of these characters attempt to name their experience or bring meaning to their lives through language is ultimately um flawed flawed or or just not or what do you call it what do you call it when something is not able to be done Um, not enough like not uh, enough you (laughs) You say that a thousand times in the monologue (laughs) yeah so so i feel like beckett has this kind of skepticism around the ability of language to make meaning in our lives you had mentioned that the 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 stage directions are very descriptive and a lot a lot and i know that about beckett estate when the beckett estate when i hear about people talking about it it's a lot of times like you know very restrictive about casting and making sure that it's done the right way. You were talking about how someone said you did the piece wrong because you had a different interpretation of what they thought it meant. Like, uh, how did you navigate that when in such a, you know, in a devising process also, you know, because the scene changes so much. And I wonder how much that, how much that had to do with what the stage directions were saying and how much you were just like, let's just do this on our own. I mean, it was a dialogue, right? Mm -hmm. We, um, I struggled actually a lot for the first two weeks of rehearsal. Uh, it, like I just felt I was like I I, I want to do it right. I have to do Beckett right. I feel <laughs> the pressure of getting it right. And so and Rebecca had invited us from the very first day to like be misbehaved to like rub up against it. That's in fact what we were doing. That was part of the exper- experiment. Is to be like, hmm, really want to get get in there. Um, and I don't know that I ever really got was brave enough to like really get in there. I mean, you just started the run. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Totally, totally. I felt like maybe in a, right after tech, like when I put on that sequence in Fringe, I was like, yeah, <laughs> something that that was really empowering to rip off the the robes that symbol mm-hmm. like the rules the prescription that he writes that if, like there's so much that in in that robe that I get to rip off yeah that I, fi- I like it just like 
found freedom in it, in quad in particular. Yeah. And I feel like I found on opening uh, freedom in not I for the first time, like just a, a, a fun, fun. I found fun in not Which I. Which one is that again? The, the mouth. The mouth. Okay. The yeah. mouth monologue. Totally. Yeah. 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 This the, he, he's so opaque that I just feel like every day it's a new go, and I just really take his quote, you know, fail, fail better, fail bigger, mm-hmm. fail better to heart with this. Sure. Yeah. In particular, I'm just like, all right, <laughs> let's let's see, break break. What am I breaking today? Mm-hmm. Sunday was my toe, but. <laughs> so you you have these images that are kind of a part of the script or part of the tradition of Beckett. Was there any, like, delineation from that? Like, what specifically did you craft that you say, I want this to be different? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, again, like what Christy said, it was a dialogue. So, mm-hmm. I, so I, I never felt like I, we were like, oh, we'll do this, like, opposite thing from Beckett. I right. mean, in, in some ways, you know, I really wrestled with that. Like, why? Why do Beckett? Why, you know why do Beckett if we're just going to break Beckett, you know, like what's the kind of, what are we really doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and to some extent, because of what are the nature of our company, we're always starting with a question. Mm-hmm. And that was our question. Like, mm-hmm. what is it to do Beckett now? What is it to do Beckett in the bodies of women um, right now on this stage? Like, what is the story that wants to be told through this experiment? Um so I feel like how the ways in which we departed from Beckett w- were born out of like going so deep into Beckett mm-hmm. <laughs> that we sort of came out the other side. Okay. Um, so, in, I mean, I in no way expected uh, us to end up in the Garden of Eden, which is where we ended up in the yeah, world of Yeah, when did that image play. come about? I mean, really, it came about... Um, not even through the Garden of Eden. So we did a series of compositions in the in the August workshop that were about landscape and the landscape of the world. And inside of that, there were um, walls became really important, um, verdure, greenery, a garden with Christy made this incredible uh, composition Chantal. with Chantal yeah. um, of the, this this ivy covered like. Um, canyon that they found and then they had like boat like pink feather boas mm. like, it was like disco uh, music it was like, yeah thing. it was like 5 a.m of a rave yeah it was yeah. incredible and we were like okay that that feels right somehow so like so, so again with our process like there's all this kind of layering of image and it wasn't really until we got in the room with the rehearsal process um in early december that all of a sudden this all of this imagery of the, these these origin mythologies of the feminine started to really arise um, from the women in some character compositions and also from the plays. I mean, every single play except for Quad, God is yeah. talked about. And I mean, I just think uh, you cannot extricate Beckett from his Catholicism, mm. even though he himself extricated himself sure. from it. I mean, it is so much a part of the culture that he is writing, um, a part of his, his history, his relationship to women in particular is steeped in a sort of Catholic understanding of women. Um, so all of that just started to percolate and become part of the vocabulary that we were investigating. So talk to me more about Quad. Mm-hmm. What? How did that process begin? What were some of the early images and, and, and rehearsal techniques? And how did we end up with quad? Because I think everything else, you know, you had text that, to kind of inform what you were trying to do. So how did quad kind of come about? 
There, there is a text for quad. Okay. Well, tell me because I, 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 I don't. I wish know. I brought it. It's so beautiful. It was up beautiful. on the wall. It was up on the wall. Did yeah, you see the bulletin board where they were like letting you walk through quad? No, I, I saw. I saw that that was a thing, but to be honest, I got there. You know, with probably five to ten yeah, minutes yeah, to spare, yeah. so yeah, yeah, I got yeah, yeah. right in. I think Rebecca's going to try to pull it up, but there is a script. Okay. And it's um, it's like a map tells okay. you where to go, how to move. Um, so we just did that. We learned that. I don't want to say we just did that. We learned that. We learned. Um, other oh, instructions, right? Yeah, there's it's, rules. It's, it's it's a rules. Like you, where do you? Who goes first? Who comes in? Like, and how long they go? Who comes in after that? And so then it's a duet, and then it becomes a trio, and then mm. the trio. You know, okay. And then pulling back out. That's and all according pull, to the pattern. It's of the all script. according to the script. Damn. Yeah. And the number of times too. Number of times too. Uh, everything. Uh, everything. Is, everything is according to the script. And and what we except for the dance. <laughs> the dance. <laughs> right, 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 right. So okay. what we did. So he has this beautiful stage direction. Um, I'm gonna pull it up for you. That talks about. Um, so it was originally written for television too. He even has the camera angles. Yeah. Um, so you can watch it on YouTube. It's pretty incredible yeah. on German TV. It's an amazing artifact. Um, so this is what the script looks like. Okay. So and what it's looking like is yeah. I, want, <laughs> right. I, I want everyone to know that it looks like some sort of like video game cheat code. Yes, it's, it's, that's exactly. Yeah. That's exactly like a, actually. So like for example. Uh, Course one, colon, A, C, C, B, B, A, A, D, D, B, B, C, C, D, D, A. <laughs> and that corresponds to like a square where each corner is A through D and the middle is E. Exactly. So, yeah. And Beckett has this beautiful stage direction where um, he says at the end that the problem of E, which is the center without rupture of rhythm when three or four players cross a path at this point. So so when when the players come to the center... At the same time. Right, they're always meeting in the center. Exactly. How do you not mm-hmm. um, mess up the rhythm of what's happening? And then he says, or if rupture if rupture accepted, how best exploit? Mm. And so our answer, our answer to that <laughs> question is this movement sequence that yeah. starts to arise out of it. Um, and for me, I feel like there was something about the idea of rupturing something the idea of trying to get to the center and constantly being repelled um and then finally just dancing your face off yeah. <laughs> inside was... of that rupture felt resonant with the themes and of... the dance and the dance rep- uh, represented what for you um what do you mean freedom or like what yeah, I don't. I mean, I I hope that audiences get what they would want out of it. Right. I I mean, for, for you know, for me to some extent, it has to do with. Um, oh, I mean, we we called it a rage dance uh, at <laughs> one point, um, yeah. or nice. like, or thinking of it a little bit like a haka, or like something, some the movement movement that is rhythmic, that is dance, but that is also a kind of battle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like thinking about the ways that we fight, the ways that we're fighting, the ways that we're resisting, and that sometimes resistance can be dance, um, felt really resonant with a lot of the conversations we were having in okay. rehearsal. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the dance haka, the haka really spoke to me. Um, and then a conjuring, like there's a, a conjuring of spirit for me that I, I like, that's what I'm. Okay. One of the things I'm just like, I want to get to that effing center. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's 
right. timed so well. Like, I, for the, the fact that he wrote out the number of times and everything, like, really speaks to, like, an idea of how it should look. And it's, duration is such an element there. You know what I mean? That by the time it breaks open, you're like, wow, I thought this was going to end, like, two minutes ago. And now it's, like... I'm so excited again, like, you know, because it's like, add in, add in, add in, and then they're just like, they're all there. You know? <laughs> they're just all there for a long time. And then it just like, something just breaks open. And yeah, I don't know. I just yeah. And kudos to the sound design, because mm-hmm. I thought that that was that supported it so well. How much of that is in the script? It's all in there. I mean, it's so not the not the exact, yeah. not the exact, obviously. It's, chimes it's, or... it's percussion. Okay. He, he, so it's actually, again, originally written as a television piece with four percussionists in the studio with the performers each performer has their own percussive rhythm um each performer has their own light color sure i think i saw that which is in the pixel tape in the version we did yeah yeah that Um, made sense that came through to me i saw that i was like okay so that color is associated with this person yes Yes. (laughs) i mean there's just so many elements to take in at that moment and Mm -hmm. again it it feels so i don't want to say deconstructed but Mm. maybe avant-garde that you're just kind of enjoying mm. the party of it all. <laughs> so you're like, yeah. I don't want to derive meaning from this. I don't want to make connections right now. I just want to watch these people mm. do this task. Mm. But yeah, the, a couple things I did kind of make those connections with. Yeah, great. Um, I love you guys hopping off of the stage. <laughs> <laughs> Your Me eyes too. got so big just now. I mean, I just I like the image of Chantal. She does this glorious after her, this our, our second round together. She like just flies she flies she falls upwards off the stage and it's like it's breathtaking every time it always catches me my breath it always (sighs) she's so amazing and i i would do want to mention amber whitehall who did who was our movement director um so the choreography at the end was hers and she brought it in and, and again this is very um true to the way that Pete works, she brought that little piece of choreography in maybe day two mm-hmm. as a kind of like, I don't know where this is going to be in the piece, but the dance, yeah, like, I'm just yeah. going to, I'm just going to bring it into the room. And that itself was <laughs> inspired by this movie, this, what is it? Ukrainian? Where's it from? Romanian? Something. <laughs> Romanian. I think maybe this. 1960s beat movie called Salto <laughs> oh boy. that Peter Cassander brought in mm. as being just of the same period as Beckett and just was like a, p- mm. a piece of source material that we were playing with. And so Amber derived some choreography from that and made that dance and didn't, we'd never knew at the beginning where it was going to fit. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, obviously yeah. it goes there. So it was a really lovely kind of iterative process of watching those layers. Did Amber together. also do the choreography? I can't remember all the names of the pieces, but the yeah. choreography when you guys are like kind of reaching over each other all of that or is that in the script no it's not in the script we we found that in the bodies so in the script they just whisper to each other Mm -hmm. but they they started to find that this like rodin like kiss thing and i was like well that 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 thing feels really (laughs) compelling speaking of sculpture that lion yeah in the back i guess well the beaded curtain, first of all, oh yeah, my goodness. <laughs> but it was like you were like teasing what was back there for so long. I'm like, am I never gonna get to see what's back there? And I was like, dang, <laughs> that's cold. That like I thought I wasn't gonna get to see the set behind the curtain. And I was like, that's maybe part of it. And then when I finally got to see that, that was really cool. 
but I, I don't know. Just the reveals were the reveals were, were, were great with that. So. Oh yeah. I mean, another shout out. I think Peter did an amazing job. Mm-hmm. I thought that that I, and the you know the tying it into because it's supposed to be a log and, and it, what is it supposed to be mostly? Is it supposed to mostly be a log or is it supposed to mostly be a statue? <laughs> in the script, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the script, it doesn't say a log. It just he he Bench. wants he specifies that you just shouldn't you actually shouldn't see it. So oh. so that the object that the three women are sitting on is small enough that the three bodies cover it. Okay. Um, and we obviously did not do that. Right. We actually found... Well, the part that you're sitting on cannot <laughs> is, be seen is, yeah. by the audience. <laughs> um, this is a little, little like, inside sneak peek right here on the right. podcast. We're in the director's cut. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but we actually came up with a lion statue idea because apparently... Um, Beckett's cousin went to Miss Wade's school for girls and there was a lion statue in the schoolyard that okay. that they used to sit on mm-hmm. and and have like games and stuff. So we just asked the designers <laughs> if we could get a lion. <laughs> and then Peter and Maggie Heath, who was our props designer, okay. created that incredible What was it made of? Object. Foam. Foam. Because I was saying, you guys were sitting on it. It looked very heavy. And then you just kind of like lifted it up and like (laughs) moved it off. And I was like, oh, I guess it's not heavy at all. Yeah, it's it's foam. And then it's this process of fiberglass and Mm -hmm. paint Mm -hmm. that Maggie does. That's just incredible. So it creates a really strong kind of um, frame. Yeah, Yeah, Almost like some kind of like advanced paper mache. Exactly. No, it's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I want to know more about the uh, process of putting things together, of devising with production because you're, you're you're mentioning it and i've heard it before that this is something that pete does so what does that look like and you you bring in technicians early you guys talk through design elements early does that mean that you start your rehearsal process with these design elements in the room or what does that mean yeah um so we have been together for eight years and we've like always committed to being in the room together for our workshop i think like rebecca said our workshops are huge in our conversation it's where we dis- we discover world and, or at least vocabulary common vocabulary and start to get inklings for images and all the seeds for what always end up in the final iteration of our productions so workshopping together and having the designers in the room for that workshop period is so luxurious mm-hmm. and vital and allows us all to just play like they perform we design um and we we've said early on like we we get to speak into everybody's process so we're just we're we're it's like being the best part of being nine and ten again with your your buddies you know it's like just playing how long does that last usually about a week. Okay. I mean, that's, well, that's not true. It's like four days, four to four to six days, depending mm-hmm. if, we're, if we're lucky, six days. But And sometimes like yeah. with Deception Unit that became our ruined house, like that was a three-year three process. And, a half, yeah. oh, wow. and we so made like the same yeah. material for three a while, right? versions yeah. of the play until we finally got to our ruined house. So you could think of that as like an extended workshopping process. Okay. So it just depends, um, yeah. And how much did the uh, the space that you're in affect it? Because I know you perform at Reed a lot, and so you're very familiar with it, but you know there was some site-specific things that happened. Were you able to get in there and play around with tech beforehand, or you have some sense, or how much like maybe came up during tech week while you were in there? I mean, we're really lucky because um, 
Peter Cassander teaches at Reed, and so we get to be in residence with the show when we're there. So we actually start rehearsal in the space. Oh, you oh, so you're always in the space. In that's wow. also such a great space. It's a beautiful I've space. I've seen that thing flip so many times. I, know. I always really... love what, what happens in that space. I think the last so Pete show I saw was Vanya. Yeah. And yeah. it was fantastic. And it was, oh, I loved it so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I, I also want to know, so what images outside of the text, like what, when do you start nailing down images and movements and things like that? Do you do that in the first process or do you, did did you come away with that first workshop and say okay we know we want to do this this way that you know outside of what the text kind of asks you i don't know that we ever nail anything down like we you, well not nail it nail you it know down. like i just like it's one of the things i'm so appreciative of our process and of our group is that we're so comfortable in the unknown yeah. <laughs> of holding it and um I think we say yes to, I don't know, I mean, I think we say yes to a, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, and then we pair away. Yeah. Like, our, one of our jokes, I'm sure it's not just our joke, but uh, is that we'll cut it in tech. We're like, yes, for now, we'll cut it in tech. <laughs> <laughs> right? um, so there's, there, it seems like we have an accumulation. Like, we're like, yes, right. that seems, that, that seems it, that seems it too, that seems it. And then as we start to rehearse, we start to mm-hmm. carve. Yeah, I'm always surprised when I watch the show after we've made it, like when I see it with an audience, um, how all of these memories of compositions like come flooding back in a way that like none of it was intentional. Mm -hmm. Do you know, it wasn't like, oh, I saw that composition. I'm going to use that moment and I'm going to plug it in here. There's a kind of like collective consciousness that we are developing together as a group inside of those workshops and inside of the kinds of this composition work where you're staging ideas as opposed to talking about them that allows this kind of deeper um, pool of material to be generated as a group and then all of that just ends up in the play I I still it's quite a magical um, process and and I do I watch the show I watched I sent them an email on the day of opening like like being just so amazed at how I could see now once it was all done all of the ways that their compositions had made the thing that we had made right even the stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor so to speak is just like whoa there it is and we didn't even try that's right that's right it creates these layers and of meaning that are there yeah that's beautiful so what's Pete's mission just I've never asked this question before to I can't remember the second word it's like to 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 propose (laughs) Mm-hmm. that's the mm-hmm. word i can never remember to propose new ways of being through creative inquiry and performance mm. ways of being okay yeah so i was wondering if you guys had a specific objective like when you do all this work because some work like for instance vanya is uh, a play that kind of resembles much more what i expect to see and then i see this and i'm like okay this is you know way more kind of um avant-garde i guess i don't want to say esoteric but mm-hmm. yeah and so i wonder what's the through line um the process the process it's the process yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. so you know something like vanya where we said we're gonna do we're gonna make the play mm-hmm. it still has a devising process but there's a narrative yeah versus a collection of short beckett 
plays, right? right? There's not going to be a narrative. I mean, the show we made in the summer was all about the impossibility of narrative. So that show too was like, probably you would experience it and say, oh, that's a little more experimental, mm -hmm. traditionally experimental than, than when you came and saw Vanya. Did the show that you did in the summer, did that also have text or? It did. It was written by a playwright, okay. a, a living, living playwright. <laughs> do you guys ever do a pure devising process? Um, I mean, I'd say Deception Unit, this, this last show we did was probably our most, our most recent purely devised mm -hmm. piece, but we, we devised with a playwright. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. I was curious cause you, you speak in the director's note a lot to how this has a lot to do with womanhood and the minimization of women and the reduction in society of women. And I was definitely hearing things throughout that, but what, I mean, Beckett's a guy also, and, and I think that's something really interesting to be playing, you know, words prescribed by a man for women to portray the minimization of women. But um, uh, I, I guess I, I just wonder, wonder what the decision was there. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. why, why, why Beckett? Mm -hmm. Why not Beckett? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, I know that for me, I was compelled to work on it because he's one of the great you know one of the greats sure. one of the canon writers and he's so and he's such an I, I'm trying to censor because I'm I usually curse to. like a cent you know oh no, no, no we no. cuss on this podcast <laughs> I mean he's just kind of a what? Well, I don't, I, mean, I don't. I don't know that I have the word. I mean, I thought I've thought so many by this point. Anyway, he He was. He was a misogynist, you know, oh, and sure. and so he just he. He wrote for men, and he still the state will keep women from playing in his most famous plays, and so there's there's this like little um there's a wrestling uh reckoning a reckoning that I felt compelled to to learn. His piece, and I've cursed him so many times. Le learning not I, I was like fucking Beckett, <laughs> like fuck fucking Beckett. But also, it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever learned yeah. and experienced. So, I don't know. There's something juicy in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and especially now we're looking back on all these people that we revered, and you know, really reckoning with the fact that they weren't great human beings. A lot of them. Yeah. You know what I mean. And so I think there's something really prescient about that, well, about attacking a piece of material like yeah. that, you know. And we're comparing them to our modern sensibility as well. So it's, it's kind of hard, you know, it's like, is it is it Ibsen, the first feminist playwright? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, well, what, you know, an awful person probably by any comparison of today's standards. But, you know, it, right. it, it's kind of hard to... It's weird that we're doing this now because we're going through kind of history and we're saying, okay, so all these people by today's standard are bad people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's one of the interesting things about Beckett's later yeah. plays is that he did write more for women than mm -hmm. he did early in his career. I mean, he was a misogynist to the end. That That's just true. Um, but some critical writing about his work um, sort of identifies a shift in his perspective on women going from a really like... Um, binary and um sort of you know traditionally patriarchal kind of view of women in their role and then in these later plays having a much more complex um relationship to the women characters that he wrote so i mean you know i think i think people 
are human beings with much, yeah. much complexity. I, th- I think absolutely we wrestled with the fact that he is famously um, anti-women in some yeah. ways. Um, and we wrestled with that in the room. And I think it was part of the reason that we did it and did it the way we sure. decided to do it. I think, you know, um, we just keep doing the same thing over and over again. In what oh. way? <laughs> and, <laughs> well, wait, who and who? Uh, uh, our culture. Our, our, so, okay, I mean, and it's the, it's one of those things that I just like, I'm almost shocked. I'm just shocked mm-hmm. at like the ways in which, I mean, right now, if I turn on a television, the way that women are expected to look mm-hmm. and behave. And I'm like, I really like <laughs> this is 2020. Right, right. This is what we're, this is, we're still thinking about femininity and femaleness in this particular way. Um, and, and so I have the, I tend to hold the belief that these deep, deep cultural narratives like the story of Eve or like the garden, um, all narratives that Beckett is steeped in and, and wrote about, um, are really deeply entrenched in our collective understanding of each other. And we try and deny it and we try and be progressive and we try and say that we don't have those things, but we fucking do. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's also about excavating that shit and like, you know, lancing the boil a little bit. Like right. what, is, what does it mean to dig under that um, and really look at what are the roots of, you know, theater? I mean, <laughs> like, right. Most people would say that Beckett is one of these like foundational pillars of contemporary theater. Yeah. Um, and, and so the opportunity to kind of say, well, what does that mean? What, yeah. what does that mean in terms of, um, you know, equality and, and the way we think about women and our world. Um, that, that was why. If, if your audience would walk away thinking one thing, what do you want them to grasp from this work? Mm. No? Got one no. Of <laughs> How would you no. explain this to someone who's not into theater? Like if one of maybe your kids, friends, parents who does something that I can't fathom, like what, what's your like, what's your like, you know, I mean, I think this thing you said is so beautiful, Phil, of like this experience that you sort of gave up or you or you were like, I don't need to know what this is about. I just I'm just going to be inside of the experience. And and generally, I would say that that is Pete's mission and Mm -hmm. goal. Um, I think we understand theater as fundamentally a space of shared presence. And so narrative and storytelling is not so much our number one. That could be the thing that they leave. That, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, that's totally... I mean, the reason I don't want to answer your question is because, um, you know, I, I don't think there's, like, one thing. You don't want to be know? like that guy who was like, you did that play wrong. Well, yeah. <laughs> You're oh, like, yeah. you thought the wrong thing well, about this right, piece. That's you right. Know? And that's I don't, right. And I don't want you to think that that's what the question yeah, is. Yeah. It's funny because I was just talking to you earlier about this. I went to uh, OMSI yeah. um, yesterday to go see the Mes- Mesmerica mm-hmm. thing. Which is essentially is some kind of psychedelic um, projection-based, music-based. Projection. Uh, yeah, it's in cool. the planetarium. Okay. It's actually really cool. Yeah. But it, 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 similarly to your show, it kind of gave me this feeling of there's just moments where you're just like, I'm just going to – like yeah. in the beginning, there, the guy kind of like preps you and he says, I want you to like dive deep into yourself and like <laughs> pull out your humanity and like think about deep things. You know, it's really like that. And then after a while, it's just his music. And, you know, you try to think about deep things and then you just start thinking about like, okay, what am I going to eat? And like, 
these types of things. Yeah. And then that's and after a while, you realize that that is the point. Is that yeah. I, I kind of had this awakening, yeah. and I had a similar feeling during your show, mm-hmm. which was at a certain level, the point is that you've created this space, this kind of clear space, and you've given me these provocative images to think. That's right. To think about everything. That's right. Yeah. And that's so right. it was kind of like you know I can choose to engage my thoughts with like the deep questions of Beckett, Mm -hmm. but I could also just choose to engage with like the images I'm seeing and how I feel about that or what I'm hearing and how I feel about that, or just to, to disconnect completely. You've given me that space to disconnect completely, especially in the first um, monologue to, to, to say, okay, this language is too heavy. Mm -hmm. I don't want to engage with (laughs) Mm -hmm. it. And I want to think, and I want to think about things that I'm thinking about. Yes. And then when I come back, you're still going to be there for me. And that was definitely my experience. And so I, 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 it was kind of a thing that I had to learn mm-hmm. over the course of the show. Absolutely. Yes. I yeah. felt like I had to be comfortable with my mind wandering because I'd be yes. like, da, 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 da. what are they talking about? What are they talking about? I'm like, I still don't get it. And then it was like, and then somehow I'm thinking about something else. I'm like, ah, got to get back in there. And then I was like, just let it go. Yeah. <laughs> just let it go. <laughs> so, I love that. But then I will also say that every, whenever I would check out and then check back in, I was just drawn. I would I would check in because of the drawn back in, yeah, because it felt intentional the whole time. You know, you were able. It felt like, oh, they know what they're talking about. For instance, uh, Rose being on the Mm. balcony there, Mm -hmm. fantastic. Mm. I don't know if that's in the script. Now I'm like learning that there's so much that's in the script, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if that was in the script. But I remember, I'm I'm like trying to listen to the monologue. I'm just like I just can't follow this. You know, like mm-hmm. I just can't, and I don't mm-hmm. know that you anyone can. <laughs> you know, listening to you talk about learning it, I don't know. That's why I blacked out the exit signs. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I'm like, okay, so I I, I realize that there is no through line. That mm-hmm. it is it is just digressing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I can't. I don't want to force my brain to try and create meaning from mm-hmm. something that where there is no meaning. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna explore. And then immediately I'm drawn to Rose. And I was just like, that image right there is like, it's so powerful and so subtle. And I I remember looking around and saying, no one else is even looking at this. And it's just me. And so then I intentionally watched it for probably like half of the monologue. I was like, I'm just going to sit here and watch this actress stand there. And, um... And listen, you know, and Mm -hmm. um, so there was just, I think that was so cool because it just gave so much room for, you can kind of, it's like choose your own adventure, like whatever you want. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're like our ideal audience member. (laughs) No, I'm serious. I mean, Pete talks a lot about choose your own adventure, like that, that, you know, that we're interested in the audience, exactly what you're saying, Mm -hmm. being able to map their own meaning on top of these images that are really open in many ways. Like we have things that we're saying to ourselves. Yeah. And we're just inviting you into that dialogue, right? Yeah. But we're not telling you what it means. Hmm. I will also say that I, I was I was prepped because I had an, a day full of just ha- taking in so much art. I went to the uh, art museum mm-hmm. in the morning and I saw the exhibit. Mm-hmm. And so I was just kind of like already in this mind state of just like, you know, there are things that are going to be abstract, so just get ready for that. And, you know, just like, okay. and I walked in there and I was just like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm ready are. now. Like, just the are. mouth on stage. Yeah, this is what I'm here to see. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, so how you guys said you've been with, with Pete for eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, how did Pete start? <laughs> through We found each other through the training. Okay. We we all have a shared training of Suzuki technique and viewpoints technique. We all studied with the same teachers at various 
times in our careers. Uh, and then we all found ourselves living in Portland and found each other through the work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So. And um, when you, so how, how could you say that Portland has changed the way that you make theater? Like do you do, living in Portland now for this period of time, do you feel like that has informed you as an artist? Yeah. I mean, I can say, I, I can say that because of the, because of the company, mm. like the way that, we've worked in the past eight years and the way that I've grown in the past eight years is because of these people that I spend my time with mm -hmm. and the way that we spend time and grapple and make work and feed into one another that I, I just am ruined for anyone else. <laughs> I go into another room and I'm like, what are we doing sitting around a table? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So are you guys, so were you guys uh, like theater kids in high school or like anything like that when did you guys get into theater um yeah I, I was a theater theater nerd um I moved a Be lot proud. I know I, I am I am I mean I made it my career yeah, so obviously um I moved around a lot when I was young so like every two years or so we would move and so I feel like I was constantly searching for community and home and um found that like in junior high and yeah. like my junior high play and I was like oh this thing this kind of way of being together with a group of people feels really right yeah. to me and really I just never I never stopped mm -hmm. doing it that's interesting how about yourself I also found, I found it in high school uh is I was a really bad student growing up um and I was in a, a new school, private, all-girl Catholic school. And uh, the only way to meet boys, <laughs> so embarrassed to admit, no, that's, was, that's really was to do the musical. Yeah. yeah. So I did the musical. And, uh, and then it was, something, it was like the one place where I was successful mm -hmm. without help. And, um, do you know, I was like, oh, and then I had friends for the, like real friends for the first time. Wow. So similar, like community and just success. And I found an identity and a freedom to be myself. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you guys look forward to in this, in this work that you do? Like, is there something that you're like, oh, once I, once I start working on that project or once the, these ideas I've had, once I put them together and da da da. I don't know because you you do such um, experimental work, I guess. So I don't. I, I, maybe it's different for you. In terms of what we what I look forward to in the process. Well, usually what I ask is, um, is there a passion project? Oh. You know that you want to work on, but it seems like in experimental theater, every project is pretty passionate. <laughs> I think that's right. I mean, yeah. I think that's right. And and again, I feel like it's so much about the process. I mean, I often joke, and I feel like I'm like this maybe more than some people in the company do have like certain texts or certain yeah. plays that they really want to work on. And I feel like I could make a play with these people about anything, yeah. you know, like I just yeah. sort of, that the content, the content is a um, pathway or a conduit for the, always for the thing that is inside of us that mm. wants to be told, mm -hmm. do you know? And somehow I feel like it doesn't really ma matter always. Um, and that, that the actual thing, the thing that is so, incredible to be a part of is this this process of dreaming together with a group of people in this state of <laughs> collective unconscious I mean it's just like miraculous yeah. I just I've it's the closest to any kind of spiritual 
practice I've ever had in my life. Um, and, and it, and this particular group of people, it, it really works with. Was there like a moment for you in like working together where you were like, wow, yes. Or was, has it always been like that from the very beginning? Cause you know, sometimes it, some things can almost feel too good to be true. And I can imagine that being with some way with theater companies. Cause I don't know, living in this town, especially like you work with people and they become your best friends and then they move. You know, yeah. or they or or whatever happens, things fall apart so easily. And I mean, um, is it just your shared background and love of this type of creating that keeps it together? Or I don't know, I, I guess. Yeah. What was it that really made it seem like Pete is the thing? You know what I mean? I mean, we said for a while, we, we just kept saying like we would we met. We met for a year before we made anything. We mm. just met to talk. And every time we talked we'd always, we were always like me too it was, kind of, it was, it was <laughs> undismissible like it was like mm-hmm. this like like a little too good to be true we're a little like tentative are you just saying that yeah. is it true and then we made our three and we're like that was really rad <laughs> and then also but during was it during our three it was it was before our three it was before our three so so we we had committed we did a workshop of our three and we're, which was really f- freaking rad. Um, and then we did a workshop of, for Northwest New Works of Song of the Dodo. And that was the first devised piece. Mm-hmm. This is all huzzy, fa- like fuzzy for me because sure. I just had Estella. Um, <laughs> I actually wasn't a part of that one. But I think it was through, through that, through Dodo, and then through the workshop of Dodo and making the Northwest New Works version, iteration of, song of the dodo that it became undismissible mm-hmm. and then doing the production of our three and then doing a production of dodo and it was like that year of talking and really just in retreating and like really yeah. trying to be like is this is this real that we were like oh no this is real right yeah i agree and then i and then i feel like our relationship with our designers really um grew when we did the journey plays the whole thing which mm-hmm. was a series of four pieces based on a moby dick inspired by melville um and there was something we did this two week workshop so we, that was the first time we ever did one of these design workshops and we did a two week workshop where we just exploded all of moby dick mm-hmm. <laughs> to like all of plenty of it there just splatted it <laughs> yes across the and it was one of the most transformative experiences wow. of my life um designers led days led workshops like costume designers led writing workshops sound designers led um composition and movement workshops i mean it was just an unbelievable kind of synergistic um amalgam of all of our interest in the art form and Mm -hmm. it was really um and I think a lot of trust was built in Mm -hmm. that over that the process of those four plays um that then now I think is is reaping results like what you saw with Becca women like that like the refinement of what we're able to do now through that process is much better so you feel like you're kind of hitting a stride now I, yeah, I do. And and to some extent we're producing more because of that, right? Too, like yeah. we're we we're we're in it enough now that we actually can produce more than one show a year, which is yeah. what we're doing for a while. And it's great to see something regularly from y'all because mm. everyone loves it. It's true. <laughs> it's true. I, I hear from plenty of people and not just, you know, people in my circles, but just around town that um Pete is probably the most interesting theater maker group in Portland and 
so I and that kind of made me run to your shows. I was like, okay, well, let me see what's going on. Let's see what's and I haven't been disappointed yet. So definitely, thank you so much for your work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's take a break. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a second to uh, talk about our show sponsors. Coho is a theater that's located in Northwest Portland, and their mission is to broaden perspectives and cultivate empathy through vibrant and intimate productions. If you're looking to get involved with Coho or interested in seeing a show, uh, you can check them out um, at 2257 Northwest Raleigh Street in Portland, Oregon, or you can look at their website, which is cohoproductions.org. Our other show sponsor is virtualsonicreality.com, which is a production company that specializes in recording and audio format entertainment, such as podcasts and audio dramas. Uh, Feel free to visit the website at virtualsonicreality.com. And now back to the show. Welcome back. It's time for Headlines. Headlines, Headlines, Headlines. headlines. Everybody's favorite favorite part of the show. You're nervous, (laughs) uh, not nervous about it. A lot of people are. How do you feel about the fact that you're not nervous? It's not anything to be nervous about. It's not anything to be nervous about. I don't know why people are nervous about it. So good to hear that you're not nervous. All right. And these headlines, (laughs) we're going to get into some pretty interesting things. The first headline I want to I want to talk to you guys about. So we know our Oscar nominations. Oh right. And this headline reads that no women are nominated for directing in the 92nd Oscars, Mm -hmm. and that's Variety. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to hear your take on this kind of all male (laughs) directing Oscar. That's low raspberry. This is why we listen to radical listening. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Go. I mean, I don't know. Okay, so yeah, I, I mean, it's bullshit. What? It's bullshit. Complete and utter bullshit. And also, like, what the fuck are the Oscars? But other than like a way to promote movies. Let's get into it. So, <laughs> you know, like women are we're still gonna fucking make our art, and if nobody's gonna. Nobody. It's not that nobody. If if the advertisers aren't going to take notice, then they can just like learn to sit down, and we just have to keep lifting each other up and putting our money where our interests lie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I would say it also speaks to what you were saying, Rebecca, earlier about how, and it it, it's kind of like we give all this lip service to inclusion and being progressive and like moving on from this awful thing, but like the seat of power still rests in the place the seat of power still rests. And it's way harder to change practice than thought, you know? Mm. Even in ourselves, you know, we're walking contradictions a lot of the time. And, yeah, it's just, like, things like this, you're like, yep, and there you go. <laughs> you know? So. And it makes you wonder about the Oscars, uh, like, relevance in 2020, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I, I, it's not something that I watch necessarily anymore. Like every now and then, I'm like, oh, let me see a clip on YouTube. But I, I really, everything's kind of shifting away from that. And I think that stuff like this just kind of, you know, it makes it clearer that it's just not important. Yeah. And but it, it, it acts like it's so important. So important, and that they're out of touch. Do you know what I mean? I mean, because yeah. where the money is now is in streaming. Yeah. And I feel like you know. So they're also like desperately grasping on to the last shreds of the patriarchy as yeah. hard as they can. But it's we're ch- it's changing. It has to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's the same executives that say black doesn't travel. And then you put put out Black Panther and it's the biggest hit right? internationally. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. And well, not to mention that. I, You're not even thinking. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a headline for this, but I also know that like like the only black person who's nominated was in a like slave movie yes. or something. Yeah. Who's playing a slave yeah. or something yeah. like yeah. that. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's no. kind of like what what is the Oscar? Yeah. Ninety second. 
Oscars. So there you go. <laughs> they old. Time, time to be over. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was the first headline. Second headline. Okay. A conservative mom slams Burger King for using the D word in a commercial. That's CNN reported that. D word. The D word is damn. I had to look it up too. I was like, what do you mean D word? Because the D word (laughs) is just damn. It's not even the D word. I don't know anyone who's ever referred Uh -uh. to it as the D word. Yeah. I remember in kindergarten, someone calling it the D word. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Would you be offended if you were watching a commercial and they said, "Damn." No. Well, with your children, I guess. Maybe that's the. Uh, <laughs> My child's truth. third word was the f bomb. <laughs> okay. Was it the word the f bomb or no? It yeah. was the actual <laughs> word. Uh, and then that's when we started. Was to that be a like, proud moment? <laughs> yes, for me. And and then also both me and my husband looked at each other and we were like, okay, you can only say that at home. <laughs> we have to talk about words you can say at home and words you can say elsewhere. Did she use it like properly? You know, I no, mean, like, I think it like, was just like a repeat. Like she was just a repeating, oh. and then she said the mother f bomb. Oh. What? Mm-hmm. Okay, first like, of all, <laughs> I sp- I'd sailor right here. I'm telling you. <laughs> No <laughs> You've been pretty good this podcast, that kid. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's go. So yeah. is that is that, is that something that's changing? Do you think that uh, cursing is no longer as important as it used to be? I mean, I grew up in an environment where if you cursed, you'd be reprimanded for that. Mm-hmm. But it seems like nowadays, you know, modern parents don't care as much. I think it depends. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. it depends on the the group and the culture and. I mean, yeah. Well, I would say just the word damn in general is like a very religious word. And so as people kind of got a little rid of the religious CBGBs, maybe, you know, saying damn it isn't so bad because that was like, you know, you're cursed. You're like, God, curse this thing by saying that word. And now people are just like, oh, damn. You know, so I don't know. Yeah, sure. something to do like with that. This is conservative, like, virtue signaling. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I feel like as actors, like, the, the use of the word, the F word, is, like, so much a part of, like, yeah. our vernacular. vernacular that, you know, I sort of feel like I am not, I, I don't have a really realistic view of how people use <laughs> cursing yeah. in their lives. That's yeah. true. I, I, I don't know. I think that cursing is one of those things that, I, I always I, I remember being like, oh well, these are just words. So mm-hmm. what? Who cares? That's right. But I mean, hey, we still police words. Words. Yeah. Yeah. words have meaning, right? Yeah. That's my, true. <laughs> it's true. Um, my mom, my mom, my mom's from Mexico, and she would she would curse in Spanish, and then she has this one catchphrase in English. She still to this day does it, and she would she would like. She's so funny. So, okay, anyway, I'll tell you what it is in a second, but I want to tell you the story. She, she would do it in Spanish. Like, she would curse in Spanish so, or yell at us in Spanish so as not to, like, embarrass us in mm-hmm. front of our people. And uh, But, like, she didn't change her tone of voice. So <laughs> You knew what's up. Right? Like, it was very clear. Anyway, and so when she curses in English, she always says the same four words in the same way. She goes, shit, them it, them it, shit. <laughs> and, so, and it's always the same. It's always like, shit, them it, them it, shit. And, like, one time in high school, I made her so angry that she flipped them. Yeah. And she said, damn it, shit, shit, damn it. And I was like, oh, wow, she's yeah, really mad. Oh, oh. oh, man. It's like using your middle name. Yeah. So. I have six names. And she, well, sure. she says them in like three seconds or less. But yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. That's how you know you're in trouble. Oh, my God. Well, I, I do hear that if you're a race bilingual, that the non-American curse words are worse. 
everybody everybody who I talk to who is you know who has different nationality they say oh when my parents use you know Oof. the other one <laughs> then it's then on you know. <laughs> yeah is that yeah. true yes yeah for yes it's for me it's like I, I don't know because she she also curses like a sailor I mean mm-hmm. you know I got it from somewhere and so she's very liberal with her colorful language and it's more of the look and the tone mm. yeah. like there's a look and a tone I call it finger you know if she mm-hmm. like Twists it. Yeah, it's like (laughs) she does the finger and let's like look. Then you know you're like, okay, I'm sorry. It was that one. That that one crossed the line. (laughs) That's hilarious. Well, those are those are the two headlines we have today. Um, Let's let's move into plugs. Is anything that you want to plug? Anything that you want people to know about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. Well, Anything gonna, you want to yeah, plug? Yeah, I'm going to see Linda Austin's show. Yes. This week. Good. Um, a World. Performance a World. Works Northwest. Performance yeah, Nor- works Northwest, yeah. I always love everything she does. Amazing. She's amazing. She yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm really excited. Of, I mean, our local band who's making it out there, but I'm going to plug Ila Bamba because <laughs> Lusa Lena Mendoza, I love you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, listen to Ila Bamba because they're rad. Uh, what else? Like what do you guys have coming up? Well, Summerfest with our new show Weather Room, but that's really not our title. The title it is, is right now. It is right now. Mm-hmm. We don't. We're not going. You don't need mm-hmm. to know. Okay. <laughs> Working title. Working, Working title, title Weather Room. Uh, you get coho this summer at Summerfest. Mm-hmm, yeah. July, and then after that, we don't know where yet. But our other show is Fronteriza, which is a show that we've been developing for the past year and a half about. Uh, juxtaposing me growing up on the southern border in El Paso and the current immigration crisis that yeah. has been taking place there. El Paso, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. I should yeah. think about that. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. We'll have me back. <laughs> yeah, we should. Right, right, right before Fronteriza. We'll yeah. come back. Yeah, that sounds great. Yes. Yeah. Uh, anything else? I mean, Fertile Ground's coming up. Yeah. yeah. Everyone should check out all the things. Um, Stepan Schimmick is doing a reading of his... Yeah. Show. Um, I love. We just look at the calendar. I know. I know. Oh, Frankenstein's happening, yeah. which is super exciting. I'm in that now. Right. You are. As of two days ago. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so here, yeah, I'm gonna be doing Frankenstein and then Found Doug here at Coho. So oh. there's my plugs. That's yeah. amazing. No, back that's, to back here. I love it. Well, Coho. I guess what are the dates? Yeah. What are the dates? The dates. Uh, fr- uh, Frankenstein opens on the 25th of uh, January, and we run two weekends. We have like a Saturday, Sunday, and then we have like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday with. Sunday matinees at two, um, and then Found Dog opens on Valentine's Day. Aww. A great show to bring your date to about living in the Pacific Northwest and um, the need for intimacy in our lives and yes. how much how important that is and all the various forms that that can take. Beautiful. Um, yeah, I got one more yeah. thing I want to plug. Please I want to plug the Institute for Contemporary Performance, which is our training program. Mm-hmm. We have a festival of new work coming to the Coho in May. And also just plug that applications will be open mm-hmm. soon and that if people want to learn how to make their own work or to learn more about the Pete way of making work, they should come to ICP. Yeah, sure. Some of our first guests were ICP grads plugging their, um, their showcase. Awesome. So, yeah. I'm um, a grad. These people will teach you. You know, <laughs> it's good stuff. Um, I'm going to plug Schoolgirls. Yes. 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 Uh, starts January 18th and runs to uh, February 16th. 
um, and that is my sound design. <laughs> but I also saw Hedwig, and I have to plug it because yes. it was so good. Although it is it. pretty much sold out. I got the last ticket for Thursday. Oh, and you're going to see Yeah, I'm going to see it Thursday. So I, I can't wait. Um, but I looked. every All the evening shows are sold out. Really? So it's just the Thursdays available. So wow. get your tickets that. today. Yeah. yeah. So and that runs to February 23rd. I heard they may be extending, though. They should. Yeah, they definitely should. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That show, oh my God. It's so good. I'm and so like excited. the energy is good. And I, I didn't sit on stage because you can sit on stage, but I sat just far enough where I felt like I could feel the intimacy mm-hmm. of the of the space. And I can't give DJ enough credit. I mean, Ithaca, I can't give Ithaca enough credit as well. But uh, DJ, as a person who comes from, you know, the apprenticeship right into a role like this, I was I was impressed. I'm so, so I was excited. very impressed. I'm so excited. Um, so yeah, so definitely check those shows out and um, keep listening to Radical Listening. Oh yeah, yeah. Thank you guys for coming on the show. Thanks and for having us. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. And good luck with your run. Thank I hope you. everyone sees it. Absolutely. <laughs> Come see this show. It's <laughs> really right. good. It's really good. And guys. one more time, Beckett Women yep. from Portland Experimental Theater Ensemble playing at Reed College through. January 25th, the Saturday. There you go. Look it up online. Get your tickets. Thanks, y'all. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radical Listening. If you have questions or would like to reach out, feel free to reach out to our email, which is radicallisteningpodcast at gmail.com, or visit the Coho Theater website for more information. And thanks for listening.